You want to hear some crazy stories? Talk to Eric Buchanan at Eric Buchanan and Associates. You won't believe the lengths some insurance companies will go to deny you your disability insurance claim. I've told you about the building contractor who was denied his claim because he was making sandwiches at a sandwich shop. They figured if he could make sandwiches, he could build houses. But check this out. There was a pharmacist who went back to work part time so she could take care of her and her family. She accidentally signed up for full time life insurance benefits instead of part time. Unfortunately, she was brutally murdered by her ex-husband. And you guessed it. When her state went to file her life insurance claim, they denied it because they said, wait, she signed up for full time, but she was only part time. So they tried to reason with the insurance company and said, well, just pay her as if she was a part-time employee. They said, no, we can't do that because she signed up as a full-time employee. To make a long story short, Eric Buchanan and Associates and his team went to work and they got that family paid. So if you've been denied your disability insurance claim or other insurance benefits that you deserve, look up Eric Buchanan and Associates online at BuchananDisability.com. That's BuchananDisability.com. Eric Buchanan and Associates, helping people who are denied disability, life, long-term care, and health insurance nationwide. Nine one one. What's your emergency? Uh, yeah, my uh, next-door neighbor broke into my house and stole my drugs. Nine one what? A fun, unique podcast taking you behind the badge. Unbelievable stories exploring the day in the life of a first responder. 911 is made possible by Carlos Bail Bonding and Eric Buchanan and Associates, fighting for those that have been denied disability, life, long term care, and health benefits nationwide. Now, here's your host, DeMarlin Dean. Welcome to 911. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. This is our first official first responder interview of 2023. So happy new year to everybody. And we're going to start the show off with a bang. I mean, start the new year off with a bang. I have my guest today is a brother that I saw on TikTok, blowing up TikTok and doing all kinds of funny videos and helping people understand that, you know, officers aren't just bad guys out here to jack everybody up. You know, they, 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 you know, some of them have a sense of humor too. So without further ado, I'm going to bring on my guest today, Officer Alan Poitras. Alan, how are you doing, sir? Man, I can't complain. I can't complain at all. Well, good. Yeah, it don't matter. Nobody listen anyway. Nobody really cares. I know, right? Another day in paradise. You man. got that right. So, you know what? Let's just start from the jump. Tell me why law enforcement and how you got into law enforcement and kind of where you are today. Well, I guess why, why law enforcement? I guess uh, I won't be as cliche and, you know, say that, you know, I, I saw this guy, he gave me a badge, which is true. He did. He gave me a little plastic badge and I was in, in a couple green projects, but it, it's always something that I, I wanted to do because, uh-huh. you know, police, police work in general is not something that you, you, you have to do. It's something that you want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's more of a calling, but, um, I just, that's something that I always wanted to do. I wasn't old enough to do it uh, when I turned 18, so I joined the military um, and decided to be the police then. Mm-hmm. 
until I got old enough. And now, about 18 years later, I'm still in the military, and now I'm doing police work now. So Yeah, so you're still in the Army Reserves as a, as a police officer in the Reserves, and you're also a, a civilian officer. I think you work for VA. Is that correct? Yes, I do. So you're still supporting veterans and veterans' causes and things like that. Yes, I'm still doing the veteran thing. Well, I can't get away. From it. <laughs> well, hey, that's that's a good that's a good noble cause. It's kind of it's kind of funny because you think uh, as I read through some of your answers and some of the calls and stuff, you've had some pretty funny, some pretty crazy, and some pretty heroin things, and you wouldn't think about. A lot of those things, and of course, I don't know if they were while you were, you know, serving with the VA or if it was your time actually in the military or what. But I kind of like to talk about that. You know, what 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 is the difference? Is there much of a difference in being an officer in the military for military personnel versus being an officer, so to speak, in the uh, private sector? Well, uh, I, I clarify the the stuff that um, you know you me and you um, discussed was um, I wasn't at the VA then. Okay. Um, I, was, I was actually doing municipal work because a lot of people don't know it. There's diff- there's differences in, in policing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they people have the, the, the street police, uh, hospital police, uh, campus police, um, you know, and and state police and it, the people people just don't know is 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 different aspects to policing. It's just not one whole thing, right? So, I, um, it's each each place that I, I went to, I, I had a I had a different different outlook. I say when I first started um, being a police officer, I was um, how, how, how the old people say it, uh, piss and vinegar. <laughs> yeah, full of piss and vinegar. <laughs> yeah, so I was um, I was gung ho going a hundred miles per hour. Uh, what you what I say goes, and it's the law, and you you need to listen to what I say. I'm gonna take you to jail. Right. Um, and one one guy, I was it was filled to actually two people. Two people told me one was like, you know, this this paramilitary ordeal, mm-hmm. and because uh, you you've been a police officer too, right? Yeah, yeah, because it, it's a paramilitary organization. You know, you you a military guy, and it's, it has a rank structure and. The other guy told me, "Hey, you just you, you need to calm down. You know, you're, you you can go home uh, the same way you came. You know, it's just it, it, this ain't going nowhere." Right, right. So you know, I took that into consideration. You know, after I you know got my you know my 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 proverbial rocks off. Yeah, but I just I didn't grow into police and police and kind of grew on to me. Yeah. If that makes sense. You know, I, I see a lot of people nowadays. I, I use, I use my platform and the people and what I do now to, the, the help, you know, I, I'm not the, 
um, the cuff slapping guy that I was, body slamming and stuff, you know, because I am quite a quite a track rocker. Yeah. Um, I, I do more talking than I do, you know. I talk with my hands instead of using my hands. Right. Right. Well, it is a learning uh, curve, so to speak, because, you know, truthfully, all officers, most officers, you know, there is no such thing as all and everybody. But most officers, when, when you come out, you think you have this mentality and it's and it's and it comes from a good place. You're going to save the world. You're going to change the world. And everybody's going to jail um, comes from a good place. But it does cause a little cause you to be a little overzealous. And, you know, you can you can you don't everybody that you encounter doesn't necessarily need to go to jail and seasoning kind of comes comes along with that. And that's why I tell people all the time so much of the outcome has to do with the person that's being approached, the suspect, so to speak, you know. Typically, if you show a little respect, then you get a lot of respect back. But if you just show a little disrespect, especially if it's that young officer's got something to prove, it doesn't take any time at all to go zero to 100. That's not yeah, that's not right. But that's just the reality of things. And, you know, yeah, because I always I always um, when I went to the, the VA Academy. The first time, because I, I went twice, not because I failed, it's because of. It was the time, a mm-hmm. uh, time lapse. They taught me verbal judo, but they don't do it anymore, mm-hmm. and, I, and I don't understand why. Because um, when I when I saw that, and when when they taught me that at first, I was like, I don't care about this. It ain't gonna work. What is verbal judo? You know, I, I want to do judo, judo. <laughs> and it was it was one instance to. Uh, um, it was a psych patient, and he was um, cursing everybody out. Mm-hmm. He was, it was bad. He was it was he was a, a physical. Uh, he liked to get physical, and he was a, a a big guy. And they they all they called me because they knew that I was I, I get physical. So I was like, man, let me try this verbal judo thing, see if this works. <laughs> and, you know, I was like, okay, so what I do? So I, I'm gonna talk to you. I'm not gonna talk at you, right? So I was talking to him, and you know, getting them, getting them calm and stuff. And he was, you know, he was calming down and listening. And he was like, "Hey, man, I'm glad you did this." And he was, he was on um, trying to hug me and stuff. And you know, I fist bump and. So I, I I learned a lot from that point on. I was like, man, this works. So I'm gonna do this all the time. Yeah, yeah. So I taught I taught my way uh, uh, out of a lot of paperwork. Yes, and see, that was me. That was always me. I'm, I'm I'm a salesperson by heart. So I've always been in sales, with the exception of my time on the police department. And I'm a relatively small guy. I mean, I think when I was on, I was in in decent shape, but I was probably maybe 180 pounds. I'm not one of these. You know, big knuckle draggers that's looking for a fight. And I was working in the hottest districts in the city. So if I wanted to get in a fight every single day, every single shift, no problem. I can do it. But I was always one of those. I'm going to talk you out of it. You know, I'm I, I'm not trying to lay hands on you. If I put my hands on you, it's because I don't feel like there's any other option. You're not responding. Let's go. But, you know, I just I never was one wanted, wanted to fight and start to fight. I'm going to finish it. 
Cause I ain't getting yeah. my butt whooped, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I'm gonna do whatever I gotta do to not get my butt whooped. But, but I use I, I try to talk people down and use humor and things like that to de-escalate situations a lot of times. Yeah, but see, I, I wasn't the one that that wanted the fight. It was the fight always came to me, and one guy um, told me that I had buzzard luck. <laughs> Muzzled luck? Nah, buzzard. Buzzard, buzzard luck. Oh, buzzard luck. Got it. Yeah. yeah. So it 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 just trouble just finds me. I it just it never fails. I'm like a magnet. But now I know how to you know use it. Mm-hmm. I know how to divert and Mister Miyagi my way out of stuff. So. Yeah. Well, you're not a small guy. You don't appear to be a small guy. And and ironically, a lot of times you know the, the bigger guys, even if if they come with with some humility and not trying to escalate things, people just want to try it for whatever reason. You look bigger. And they just want to try you. I never kind of, I never understood that. Never understood. Be evil. So you were talking about how you were, and when you first came out, you were kind of gung ho, and everybody, you know, gonna slap those cuffs. When you think back, or are there some arrests that you made that you really feel like, you know what, I should not have made that arrest. I sh- that person, I should have just let them go. A lot of people that I, I arrest, I just uh, they they kind of deserve it. So I, I can't I can't say that I've arrested people that didn't deserve to be arrested. Mm-hmm. But it it is a, a like it was an instance to where. Uh, you know, instead of me taking the site a site patient to jail, I shoulda I shoulda got the site patient help. Mm-hmm. But um, mental health and policing is it, is so like two two different worlds, you know, and we can't um, as police officers. The public doesn't see how mental health and police work don't don't mix, right? And they look on they they look on the outside, but they don't understand that you know when we answer a call and we answer a call to a a, a guy with a with a, a gun. You know, it's it's a guy with a gun. We don't know the 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 history of that person, right? And if that person has somebody that's there, and you know, they say, you know, he, he has a mental health problem. He's, you know, he um he's schizophrenic or whatever. It's nine times out of ten, a lot of people just say that just to you know try and you know get somebody out of a. Uh, out of handcuffs, right? And it's impossible for us to, you know, decipher that. So, yeah, as a police officer, you're you're not trained to be mental health experts. Uh, sometimes there's obvious signs, and 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 frankly, you still have to neutralize the threat, whatever that looks like, even if unfortunately it is a mental situation. 
but you know, the more information that you have, obviously, the better decisions you can make. And you know, as one of your scariest calls, you actually had to uh, you responded to a mentally ill person that was um, that was seeing and hearing things, and that could have gone badly. But tell me about that call if you remember the call that, that I'm talking about. It. I think he was. Um, He's actually shooting weapons. So, you know, anytime you got somebody weapons involved and they're shooting can go very, very badly. But this one overall had a a, a decent ending. Well, yeah, he um, he was an Air Force veteran, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't actually my call, but it just so happened I had to take over the call because the guy that initially responded, um, didn't know what he was doing so um the girlfriend of that uh person she called and said that she um he was shooting he was shooting at somebody and we arrived and he was you know saying that he was hearing voices and he saw um, some people out in the in the bushes and all of this, and we're trying. I'm trying to talk to him, to talk to the guy, and the responding officer was kind of. He had the deer in the headlights look like I don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. So, um, he left, went back in the house, and he went towards the back. And when he looked out the window, I guess he saw he thought he saw somebody, and then he, that's when he shot. He shot his gun again, mm-hmm. and I ran to the back, and he climbed out the window. Uh, we got him on the ground and um, took the guns away. Um, had to do paperwork for that right. because confiscated his guns and he um, instead of me taking him to jail you know I just decided that he needed to go to the VA mm-hmm. to get to get help right. I told him that he wasn't getting his guns back right. but you know I told him that he needed to get the help because you know he, I could have killed you right you know right and you know that's uh, that's something that I, I'm proud that you know I didn't go and um, pull the trigger, right? Because um, you know, not saying that it was something that I have to live with, but um, it'll be something that I have to you know. It would be constantly playing in my mind. Yeah. Like, you know, what if I, what if I just, you know, waited or, right. you know, so I'm just glad that he got the help he needed. Yeah. Well, actually, you said it right the first time. It is something you have to live with. Um, and I think that the general public doesn't understand the gravity of that. The, the 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 prospect of taking someone's life and the weight that an officer or whoever that person is that that had to make that decision the weight that's on their shoulders and of course you could say well yeah but you still have you're, you're still alive 
Well, this is a situation where most of the time the officer is put in a position where he has to respond. He has to react to take to protect his life or the life of others. But it doesn't while it may be a justified shooting or or so to speak, it still doesn't take away the heaviness of now you have essentially someone's life on your hands. And a lot of officers, if you've been listening to this podcast, you know, those of you that have been listening and listening have heard me say before, a lot of officers don't make it back. Say again. I have. Yeah, you you've been in that situation. No, I say I listen. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. Well, uh, and, and a lot of people, and you know this, you know, a lot of officers don't make it back from that. They they end up retiring or quitting because they cannot handle that anymore. I mean, it messes. It can mess up your head if you don't, especially if you don't get the help that you need. Yeah, especially dealing, you know, especially with um, certain situations. Right. You know, it's. It's a lot, and and with the with the public, you know, it's not not only are you scrutinized by you know law enforcement, mm-hmm. you're also scrutinized by the public, right? You know, and you you have the public's opinion, and you have the court's opinion, mm-hmm. you know, and even though you have a justified shooting, you know, uh, the public opinion will, will, you know, drive you out as well. But um, a lot of people don't realize, and, and I get I get this all the time, you know, why shoot him in the leg? <laughs> uh, why ain't shoot him in the arm? And people don't realize that, you know, one of your 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 main arteries is in your leg. That's true. So if I if I, you know, aim for your leg and I'm trying to hit the femur and the bullet bounces out the femur and hits you uh for more artery, you know. Yeah. You told me I hit him in the leg. Yeah. 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 Only only police officers were trained well enough and good enough that they could shoot a smaller target like that. It's hard enough to hit center mass when you're under duress. And then again, that's the other thing. People that don't handle firearms um, don't realize all of the physiological things that go on when you're put in that situation. And it's extremely difficult to hit what you're shooting at, um, which is why you have to go to the range and practice over and over and over. And to put that, that TV element on there thinking you can shoot the gun out of their hand or shoot the leg or shoot all that stuff. It's just, it's, it, it, it just, it's not real life, not real life. Yeah. At all. Actually, shooting is hard because um, well, I've, I've been in one situation where I actually had to, to shoot, and you know it's 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 difficult. Exactly. Because mm-hmm. it's just like you press the trigger, and it's 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 hard to pull the trigger back because it's you know everything's in slow motion. You get tunnel vision, and yeah, yeah so. Yeah, a lot, a lot of people don't realize that. No, and I'm working on getting a a, a a firearms expert on to talk about some of those things because you know it's not uncommon for you to unload a clip and and think you've shot two or three times because of that tunnel vision. You get so focused, you don't really yeah. realize ex- all you see is that threat, and you you shooting until that threat is no longer a threat. Um, so, excuse me, <clears throat> it doesn't always look pretty, but you know that's what you have to do. Um, 
when I look at my relatively short career in law enforcement, there were really only a couple of things that I saw that really bothered me and made it difficult for me to um, to go home and, and really get rest because I kept seeing this vision in my head over and over again. You had at least two situations where were the same thing. And what I'm referring to is I watched a person kill themselves. I watched them. We were there. They had a gun to their head, took a deep breath, pulled the trigger. You had a couple of situations where you watched someone at least, you know, shoot themselves. Some some survived, some didn't. But tell talk take us through that those situations and how you felt and 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 how that affected you if it is watching someone in the act of shooting themselves. Well, um the the first one well that I well, I did, this was the second one. The first one, well, I'm gonna do the second. One. Okay. The first one's the first one's kind of uh, uh, it it is worse than the second one, but not in going not to go into you know too much detail. A brief brief little synopsis. The I was responding to a call. It was a stalker call. Um, it was originally for the county, mm-hmm. uh, that that county, but the only deputy that was there, um, he was taking somebody to the jail, so they asked for a municipality to do it. So I my thing the first second week on the job, mm-hmm. and I went went to the house. Um, I had. Uh, field training officer with me because <laughs> uh, it was one of those small departments so it wasn't we had no FTO it was just a guy right and, and he was showing me around the city so I ended up uh, arriving to the house it was a guy with a trench coat with a well with an overcoat he had a like one of those one piece little coats or whatever it was mm-hmm. and he was just standing at the front door and went and I, I talked to him. This one, I, I, I still had piss and vinegar. <laughs> and I went up to the fence and went up, got into the yard, opened, and started uh, talking to him. And I was like, uh, you know, hey, you know, what, what you doing? Um, you know anybody here and all of this? And one of my pet peeves is um, your hands. Mm-hmm. I, I need to see your hands. Right. Because, you know, you can talk to me all day, you know, cuss me out, all of that stuff. And But if I, if I don't see these, then we're going to have a problem. Right. He had these in his, in his pockets. So I was like, hey, can you take your hands out your pockets? He took one hand out. I'm like... <laughs> Take both hands out your pockets, man. And he took the other one out, and he had a, a thirty-two, a little thirty-two in his in his hand. And I don't know how it happened. I guess it was the the good old Lord, and um, I already had my my pistol out. Uh-huh. My pistol was behind my thigh. It's something that I always do when I go to like an unknown call. Right, it's something. Something I always do, and I'm left-handed. So, and 
I had I had it out, walked backwards to the fence line, and hour and forty two minutes we were talking to these guys, uh, trying to get them to calm down. And um, the woman he was stalking, her mom and her little kid, um, they got her, they got them out of the house mm-hmm. through the back door, and he just. Shot himself. He, he used the gun, pow, and he hit the ground, and he was trying to make himself die. Mm-hmm. It, it was it was kind of it was surreal. He was holding his breath after he shot himself. Yeah, after he shot himself, he was wow. holding his breath, and it was like, bro, you need to breathe. <sighs> God, why are you trying to? So he made it to the hospital, and he he made it. He he didn't die. Yeah, this one didn't die. He he made it, and he got arrested again for the same thing. He put a track on the lady car. Oh and, wow! That, yep, didn't learn his lesson. Didn't learn his lesson. I, I tell you, uh, people. But the second one, it was when the um, the tornadoes hit April uh, twenty eleven. Okay, April twenty eleven. I was working on a campus then, and uh, the campus had a hospital. You know, most colleges have, you know, uh, hospitals where they have trauma centers. Mm-hmm. And just so happened after the tornado, um, ambulances was, was bringing people in by the truckloads. Wow. And... I was holding the door open for the trauma bay to, you know, to let the people go come in. It was a man directly in front of me. He said, "It's a, it's a guy with a gun that way," and he ran the other way. And I'm like, "Where's that way?" So I run and. I clear the pillars. I had my pistol out, and I'm clearing the pillars, um, trying to see what this this person was. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I cleared the last pillar, I saw him. And before I can get anything out, he he, he shot he shot himself, and um, he hit the ground. I got got on the radio, told him, you know, luckily. The trauma center was right directly across the street, so they come running out, and he expired before he hit the. Uh, before they even brought him into the uh, trauma bay to work on, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, he was a college student. Oh wow! Yeah, he was a college student. I think he got a. I think he got a bad grade or something, and that that's what warranted. Um, that man outcome man well listen to me people uh, if you feel like you've got to do that please pause talk to somebody there's nothing that bad that you need to take your own life uh, how did, did that did, did that have an effect on you at all like you know like it did me um because it like I said it was part of it for me is because we we were there for so long we were trying to help her and I guess it was a helpless feeling, you know, as a first responder, you're the main thing you want to do is help someone. 
and we couldn't do anything and you know except watch her die you know she had a larger caliber weapon and once she pulled the trigger she was she was done by the time she hit the ground um and it just it just always stuck with me yo yeah, stop uh, playing uh, and put it in before I die, bro. I don't. My phone. <laughs> I don't know what that is. That was, that was my phone. Oh, I, when it reached a, a certain percentage, I just I have this um this this app uh-huh. and it and it talks to me and tells me, hey, I don't want to die. Just <laughs> stick the charge in. <laughs> wow, that's kind of kind of a, a coincidental timing there. <laughs> I know. But, um, but yeah, I, um, I, it, uh, it, I always have the, the thought, you know, uh, what, what if I, um, what if I turn the pillar soon or, um, you know, what if I could have, you know, caught him or, um, you know, grabbed him or mm-hmm. you know, tased him. Yeah. But um, I didn't have tasers at the time. So I, um, <clears throat> I, some, some that my pastor always, you know, told me is that, you know, you can't, you can't fight fate, right? It, well, if if something happens that's inevitable, you know, and you know you you try to help, you've you've done you've done your due diligence, right? You know you can't um, beat yourself up over something that you know you you can't change, right? And that's that's what happened when I, you know, went to Iraq and I, you know, came home and you know I I, I was pretty much trying to find myself. Mm-hmm. I came back a whole different person. Yeah. yeah, and I was trying to um figure out, you know, what what can I do uh, to to change and be the person I was before, but. I'm used to, you know, I'm used to being who I am now. Yeah. Yeah. Fortunately, I didn't have any kind of guilt around it or anything like that. It was just hard to watch someone do that and, uh, you know, watch them die before your eyes like that for me. Um, speaking of Iraq, thank you for your service, by, by the way. Um, <laughs> what was what, what's harder or what was harder? or What was more difficult to see or live through the, the, the things that you may have seen in, in Iraq and war or the thing you see saw every day on the, the streets here war. in America? <laughs> war. Yeah. War. I mean, I grew up. Um, it's sad to say, but I, I grew up um, kind of. Um, I was getting prepared for war because some certain stuff I, I, I've seen and I've experienced, you know, I watched, you know, gunfights and, and when I was growing up, mm-hmm. my grandma cussing the people out, you know, it, it was, it, that was crazy because <laughs> um, she was, um, I was trying to plant some watermelon. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what I was doing. I just got the watermelon seeds, and I was, you know, putting them in the ground. And it was, it was a blood in the crypt. 
and they crossed each other and they was arguing and stuff and now my grandma was on the porch and they started shooting at each other. My grandma cussing them out and she telling me to get down while she cussing them out. And I'm like, Grandma, you need to. Wow. Yeah. God rest her soul. I love you. But golly, she shouldn't have did that. Wow. Yeah. 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 A lot of times people, because, um, yeah, you said, you, I, did you grow up in, in the, the, the Birmingham? Is that where you grew up? Yeah. So, um, you know, a lot of people, again, we, we, we don't always think about where someone came from. And we also, you know, when we know where people come from certain types of backgrounds, we put labels on them. Uh, so, you know, here's someone like you growing up, I guess, in the inner city of Birmingham, uh, you were probably labeled as the, that you probably weren't going to be much of anything by a certain segment of our population. But they're a lie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's and it's and it's sad. Uh, you know, a lot a lot of people, a lot of people will come to that conclusion that you know people are a part of the environment, mm-hmm. but a lot of people don't make the environment part of them. You know, they try they pretty much extricate themselves from that uh, from that area. So they won't get sucked into the void, right? Well, I, I can't say that you know a lot of people have done that, but you know the majority has. Yeah, 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 yeah. We all are. We all are a product of our environment to a for, for to a certain extent, and but that doesn't that does not mean that you are going to end up a certain way because of your environment. We can all be a product of our environment and be certainly different products because, and we see the same thing. You know, you can grow up seeing gang, you know, gang banging and all those types of things. And because you saw it, you want to make sure you don't have anything to do with it. Other people, that's all they saw. And they think that's all there is out there. Still the same environment, but you still have two totally out, different outcomes because the individuals are just that they're individuals and they're they make their own choices around whatever it is they're seeing in their environment um we're going to get to some lighter stuff because we're running out of time here but i do want to know you know um i i think we are at a position now where people oftentimes think that everything is good now when we talk about race relations and things like that and the fact of it is now it's probably better now than it's ever been. It's continuing to get better, but we still have some work to do. <laughs> we still have a lot of work to do. And I wanted to ask you from, a, from, from the standpoint of being growing up where a lot of the civil rights struggle started and a lot of obviously huge animosity between the black community in particular and police because of the abuses that that they experienced all through the the 60s and you know obviously probably well past the 60s but the 60s is what we all saw and you know well you're a little bit younger than 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 i am but that's what we think about when we see tv and and police put sick and dogs on people and all that kind of stuff that was in birmingham and that was just in the 60s which for a young person that's forever ago that's like you know generations ago but it's not you know we think about there's still people that are alive today that were in that church that was bombed just because they were black um do you feel like or 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 what has your experience being policing in a city that had 
that type of history um, behind it? I've, I've been a police officer in Birmingham and in Indianapolis. Okay. Now, if I had a choice of staying um, somewhere and being a police officer, will be Birmingham. Why is that? Although Birmingham is considered the cradle of the Confederacy, I, I would never understand that. Um, Indiana's a lot worse. Okay. Um, the difference between Birmingham and and in, in Indianapolis is with Birmingham, you know that this is this has been going on. The discrimination and racism has been going on, and a lot of people um, don't uh, broadcast it as much. Mm-hmm. It's more subliminal, mm-hmm. if that, that makes sense. Like if I'm if I'm in a in an area where um, there's not too many black black people, mm-hmm. and I go to a convenience store, and you know I don't get greeted. And you know the the other person gets greeted, and if I give them money, I hand it to you, but you put it on the on the table and slide it slide it towards me. Mm-hmm. It's more more of a subliminal type thing. But mm-hmm. in Indiana, I don't know. They they call you the N word like quick, fast, and in a hurry. Really? Yeah. See, I always thought and had the impression, and, and my experience has been it's the other way around. Not, not now, but growing up, it was a, a, a lot more blatant here in the South. They'll call you that and the N-word, and you knew where you stood in the South and wasn't hiding it. And up North had kind of the, the, the uh, for me, the idea that they're not going to say it to your face. But it's there. They're going. They're going to be more subtle about it and not let you do certain things. But in the South, it's going to be more in your face. So it's interesting that your uh, experience was the opposite. Well, see, yeah, with with Indiana, it's, it's not. It's not really considered the North. Um, well, that's true. It's Midwest, but yeah. Yeah, it's not. It's well, it's Indiana's its own. <laughs> um, because I, I I did a I did a a news story in in Indianapolis, um, in regards to to that, uh-huh. you know, to this particular subject. Um, but Birmingham, I, I've I've experienced a lot in Birmingham, but I guess I I was so numb to. Everything that was happening in Birmingham, I was it 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 caught me off guard in Indiana. But at the same time, I was like, "Well, it's it is what it is." Yeah. But as far as um, black policing and 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 black people, mm-hmm. um, I try now, um, like with TikTok or um, through through other avenues you know I try and school um, black people um, as much as I can mm-hmm. you know because a lot of them are, are, are not privy to the law and a lot of people get um, get caught up and get 
get messed up because of something they didn't know. Right. And I try I try to keep that in mind when I talk to, you know, people. Sure. You know, black black people. And I try to get get the trust because there's no trust in police work at all. Right. You know, because and I, I seen it firsthand the uh you know it's the thin blue line you got to take up for your people and stuff but no you, you can take up for your people but you can't take up for people who, who doing something that's against the law and you you try and uh cover it up right that's that's not, that's not the point right right so um I, I try to to make it make it known that it's actually police officers that actually care and they actually want want to help and they actually don't stand by the to let this crazy stuff. Although you might get, we might get blackballed. Sure, but you know, we just we don't we don't like you know the 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 illegal stuff that's going on. No, and 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 we understand that as a police officer, it's a reflection of everyone when people are engaged in that. Uh, and the truth of the matter is, it's it's hard. I I, I had a situation uh, on the force where I felt like someone did something that was unethical, but I didn't have proof. I didn't know. So I was not brave enough. I wasn't about to stick my neck out as a young officer. I was still a rookie and go accuse this veteran officer of something that I just thought they may have done because what now what am I going to do? Hey, he did this. No, I didn't. And I have absolutely no proof at all. I know how that's going to end. Um, yeah. But I never saw, aside from, like I said, one, one maybe two instances of things that that one that I'm talking about where I thought somebody may have done something that was unethical. And then another where somebody just did a something stupid just because, you know, they had the power to do it. Um, but aside from that, every, you know, everything I saw was, was, was on the up and up. Um, you know, nobody was getting abused. You know, there was, there was some fighting when, once fists got thrown, they got thrown. But typically if the, when the, when the suspect stopped, the fighting stopped. Um, so I didn't see just rampant abuse and things like that, but I can understand how somebody could see something and still not say anything because, again, you need to have your stuff together if you're going to go accuse another officer of doing something unethical or wrong because, you know, you still have to depend on these people to come back you up. So, yes, I think there's a thin blue line, but I don't think um, I don't think good officers knowingly accept bad officers and just just think that's part of the job and that's okay and covering for them. I don't I don't think that we're in that time now. It may have been years ago, but I don't think that's the case now. I think um good officers hate the bad ones just as much as everybody else. If they have an opportunity to get them out, they're gonna get them out. Well, yeah. But you know, I had that instance to uh this police lieutenant was um was, you know, pretty much beating on his wife. Mm -hmm. Who happened to be the mayor's daughter? Oh, wow! Yeah, who you know that was her son-in-law. Mm -hmm. So you know he was in charge of uh, uh, internal affairs. He was an investigator. He was in charge of training and the number two guy in the department and all of this stuff. And that's classic nepotism. Yes. So as soon as um he got arrested made the news the mom sided with the with the son-in-law and let the daughter you know fall by the wayside mm. 
Well, see that in that situation, that's a that's a that's a situation of the justice system not working because you you said the key thing. He got arrested. Police did their job. They went and arrested him, and then a higher authority stood behind them and made sure he got that slap on the wrist. Um, which is, you know, that should make anybody sick. And then I can't, I can't understand how a mother would take the side of somebody that's abusing their daughter. <laughs> that's just crazy to me. <laughs> crazy to me. All right, before we run out of time, let's get this. Let's talk about some lighter stuff because you had some fun stuff. It's not it hadn't all been bad stuff. People shooting themselves and and uh, you know just like the the the, the war in Iraq had been here in, at home. You had some funny stuff too. Now we we always hear about especially in these in crazy TV shows where the uh, the spouse gets caught by the by another spouse in bed with somebody they shouldn't have been in bed with. You actually had a call related to that. Tell me about it. Yeah. I, um <laughs> Yeah, it was a um I think it was a burglary call. <laughs> and as soon as soon as I got on the scene, I, I see a guy running out of the house uh, naked. <laughs> and I was wondering, you know, what? Because I was thrown back because I was like, what's going on? You robbing the house naked? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what's going on? And just so happened, the owner comes running behind him saying that, you know, he broke in my house and he tried to... Um, you know, get some stuff. You know, people they they he he tried to blow up the call. Yeah, uh, the, it seemed like, but yeah, he just called him in bed with his wife. <laughs> oh man! And then you like, you gonna catch him? I was like, you, I told my part, you gonna catch him? Or... <laughs> Which y'all didn't want to wrestle the naked guy to the ground. No, we we went from the. I mean, he he didn't do anything wrong. I mean, that's true. Cause, yeah, she she invited him in. You know, yeah, that that's true. People don't think about that either. I mean, he hey, broke it the law. Yeah, it could have been indecent exposure, but if I'm running for my life, I'm not, you know, I won't be worried about no clothes. Oh, man. Uh, you also had an interesting time uh, wrestling with a, a guy on meth. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah, yeah. He um, <laughs> yeah. He he uh, <sighs> I, I, he was high on meth, and he was um looking in the cars he was trying to get you know looking he was looking in different cars mm-hmm. you know had moving the handles and stuff trying to see cars run locked yeah trying to see and he he said that you know he's trying to find his car hmm. I'm like, how can you find your car and you you know moving handles for different cars so he had a warrant and trying to arrest him and we got into a tussle and he he trying to tickle me. <laughs> and I, I was like, what the hell are you doing? And he, he trying to trying to tickle me and he was like, uh, you I bet you tickle this, you tickle <laughs> 
Nah, he didn't, was, he didn't make you laugh? Nah, that was one of the pissing Venom of the moms. Yeah. Oh, he, man. Yeah, he had to um, talk to the concrete. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I've, I've heard some funny meth stories, but I hadn't had one where the, uh, the suspect tried to tickle the arresting officer. It's pretty funny. And uh, I also think you got dispatched to arrest a raccoon. Tell me about that. Man, <laughs> this this lady had called talking about um, somebody was in our house. And we were trying to, we ran, we ran cold, went went to the house. Then we snuck, we snuck up, you know, we didn't want to spook nobody with the sirens. Right. And creep up in the house. Um, creep up by the house and the lady was in her room and she she heard footsteps you know I'm I'm hearing it too mm-hmm. so I um had my my weapon out you know had my little tack light on and I'm I'm clearing you know the military they teach you how to you know see in the dark a little bit yeah. so I, I I was trying to, I was testing it. So <laughs> I, um, I hit, you know, I hit the corner and I see this raccoon in the kitchen, you know, the wild raccoon in the kitchen, man, doing this thing. And, you know, I politely turned around and walked out the door. <laughs> and I told him that that wasn't in my job description. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I couldn't do. I don't do raccoons. She had to call animal control, huh? Yeah, she had to call them. I was like, you had to try and do this yourself. Even though we do, you know, we can do a lot. But I, I don't know, bro. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, Alan, I just want to thank you so much for joining me today and sharing some of the, your stories with me. Um, what you, you had mentioned earlier, um, about I think you had mentioned it earlier about um, dealing with homeless people, or maybe I just just read it. I'm not sure, but I just want to ask you, like, what are what is like your proudest moment on the job? Well, it, it is. I, I say that's my proud proudest moment. Um, I, I enjoy, you know, now I enjoy helping people. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why one of the reasons I got into police work is to is to help. <laughs> And um, when I used to, you know, do do my old beat when I was working on the campus, mm-hmm. it was um, it's like this homeless guy. Um, he and he looked like George Clinton, you know, he had all the you know the colorful stuff on, and he had the dreads and stuff. Uh, and I. Um, get some MREs because you know I'm in the military, yeah. and I asked one of the supply sergeants. I was like, "Hey, can I, you know, get like a box of MREs or something?" And he gave me four mm-hmm. boxes. Oh wow! MREs, yeah. Um, so I go and you know hand them out, and with George Clinton, I hand them out to hand them out to him mm-hmm. and I give it uh let him you know distribute it out but yeah that's that's, that's one of my proudest moments you know I, I don't try to 
you know, do it for the recognition. Sure. You know, sure. You know, it's just more of a, you know, I do it just to, you know, just to help. Yeah. And, and frankly, most things like that do go um, unrecognized because you, you, just for that reason, you are just doing it to help. You're not trying to make a big deal out of it. And and it's it's great because, again, you know, a lot of people don't realize that the heart of, of most first responders and what you just described really is the heart of the first responder. Um, so I'll ask you the last question I'll ask you is 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 now is a really, really tough time to to get in police work. Part of the reason I started this podcast is to kind of humanize the badge and help people understand really what you go through and your heart behind it. But what would you tell someone, a young person that's thinking that they want to become a police officer? What advice would you give them? I and it's it's a it's a good good profession. You know, it's a good profession to be in because um like I said earlier. You know, police work is not something that you 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 have to do. It's something that you want to do. Right. Um, the 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 reward um, always outweighs the risk. Um, if if it's something that that you want to do, and I'm, I'm talking to you know people that's listening, mm-hmm. um, do it for yourself. You know. And do it for, um, don't do it for anybody else. Don't listen to anybody else because you, you're the one that's going to ultimately be, um, in that uniform behind that badge. And you are the one that, um, can make that difference. And don't, don't let anybody take that, um, take that away from you. Right. Right. Very good. Well, I just want to thank you. Uh, if you want to, you feel free to give out your your TikTok handle if you'd like. If people like to follow you on TikTok or wherever else you may be, you're, you're welcome to do so. Uh, man, it's, it's, uh, what's that? A, AJ Porthrus 205. AJ Porthrus 205. Mm-hmm. And Porthrus is P-O-Y-T-H-R. E-S-S. And I'll have that in the show notes as well. So you guys can, uh, you know, find it in the show notes if you want to give Alan a follow and see the kind of things, the content he's putting out there and how he's helping educate folks. And, you know, he's got some funny stuff out there. Uh, but feel free to check him out. And I just want to thank all of you all for listening to the show and ask that you make 2023 the biggest year yet. And you can do that by making sure that you like and follow us, subscribe wherever you're listening. And one of the important things that you can do to help me out is make sure you give me a a great rating, especially on Apple Podcasts, but wherever you're listening, give us a great rating. And if you have any suggestions, if you have some people that you'd like to, uh, for me to reach out to, to get them on the show, just shoot me an email at 91what.podcast at gmail.com. Again, thank you all for your support. Thank you for listening. And until next time, have a blessed day. Thanks for listening to 91 What? We hope you enjoyed the show. If you have comments or suggestions, please email us at 91what.podcast at gmail.com. And thanks to Carlos Bail Bonding and Eric Buchanan and Associates for making this episode possible.